This morning, I, I wanted to take a moment to introduce you guys to Bob Rowley. He, he uh, is teaching today. So, I mean, I, I'm Heath, in case you're, you're new here. I'm one of our elders and our lead pastor and probably teach most Sundays, but try to share a lot of this space with others. Um, but Bob is teaching today, and Bob is our, our, our denomination's, the EFCA's district superintendent as well as church planting director. And he has also been a coach and mentor of mine. When we were planting this church, he was one of the men that walked alongside me. And, and I love it because Bob is really good at calming you down, but then also not just giving you the answer. He would, you know, he would just calm you down and give you some good stepping stones and help you see the future and think about what, you know, what the Lord's leading you to and help you, his favorite thing, like, hey, learn from those that have gone before you and do it better. And I just, that's so, that's so helpful. There's, that's the legacy of faith. And Bob has been a huge encouragement. He is still a huge encouragement. And so I'm excited to have him come teach today. We were talking about it and we asked, you know, he, we were talking about possibly him come teaching about kind of church planting. And we were saying like, when was the last time we focused a whole sermon just on church planting? Because you may not know this, but one of our core values is to multiply disciples of Jesus and to multiply churches. And you know, it's really, we were talking, we're like, we haven't committed a whole sermon to it since before we launched the church. When I was planting the church and at Grace Bible, every time I taught, I taught on church planting because I wanted to plant a church and I wanted people to get excited and come with me. And, and so we thought this was a good opportunity. Last week we did our, our personal vision Sunday. So if you weren't here last week uh, and you're new to us or just want to kind of get a refresher, we would encourage you to go listen to that uh, on either a podcast or on our website, it's all there. Um, but today we're excited to have Bob. So y'all please welcome Bob Rowley's great, great friend and excited to have you here today. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Heath. Hey, good morning, Bridge Montrose. Joanne and I are delighted to be with you this morning. So good, good to be here. And um, I'm going to knock that off, so I'll put that over there. Um, hey, thanks for your support over the last several years. Um, both prayer support, financial support. Um, congratulations on this awesome new facility. And uh, you guys may have the largest screen of any church in our district. I don't know. I mean, that is, that is quite, quite the screen, so just amazing. But, but um, you know, thanks also for Pastor Heath. He is a key leader for us and, and does a lot to help us, and we really appreciate him and all that he's doing. So, Evangelical Free Church of America. What in the world? So evangelical, we're committed to the gospel, life transformation, life transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So we're committed to the gospel. Um, we're committed to the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. So when we say evangelical, we're saying, hey, committed to the gospel, committed to the Bible. Free, okay, that's weird. We don't encourage churches to put that in their name. But if you understand this little bit of history, and I'll give you the 27 second version, uh, our forefathers, four sisters, came from Scandinavian countries, so Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and there it was the state church. So the state controlled the church, the state owned the church, the state decided who the pastor would be, and so when people came to America in the 1800s, they wanted to be free of any control, and so they started independent congregations in their native languages, and then... Um, they realized, well, how much can we do by ourselves? What if we could band together with like-minded churches? We could do so much more for Jesus, um, but we didn't want any control. So they formed the Norwegian-Danish Association, Swedish Association, late 1800s. And then in 1950, those two groups merged to form the 
evangelical, committed to the Bible, committed to the gospel, free, free of any outside control, Church of America. So as an evangelical free church, you're completely autonomous. We have no control. I can offer suggestions. We can influence um, other than our statement of faith. And so if somebody deviates from there, that, that's an issue and a problem. Um, so we have 17 districts that make up the EFCA around the country. Ours is Texas and Oklahoma. Now, uh, I was asked to talk about church planning. So when we talk about church planning, we're talking about bringing churches into existence, right? I mean, you know, six years ago, the bridge Montrose did not exist. Today, it does exist. Why? Because you planted it. That's why. Um, you planted this church six years ago. It did not exist. Now it does exist because the church was planted. And uh, I was telling Heath and Amber over dinner last night that I still remember your first service. And I remember Joanne and I walking in, and you could feel, and some of you were there, you could feel electricity. You really could. You could it was an electric atmosphere because people were so excited at what God was doing, bringing this new church into existence. And, uh, and hopefully you still have some of that and you haven't lost all that after all the work you've done over the last six years. So we believe it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people, it takes all kinds of church planners, plant all kinds of churches, and, and so that's the way it is. And uh, we would like to plant healthy churches in contrast to unhealthy churches, right? I mean, why plant an unhealthy church when you can plant a healthy church? So what is a healthy church? Healthy churches, they multiply converts. They multiply growing disciples. They multiply workers for God's kingdom who go and help, you know, do Hurricane Harvey relief and other crisis relief. Um, they multiply leaders. They multiply disciple makers because that's what Jesus told us to do, right? The mission of the church. They send out those disciple makers and they multiply churches because as you multiply disciples, what do we do with all these disciples? We've got to do something with it. We put them in new churches. So we have all those churches. And uh, as a district, right now we have 19 church plants on the ground and we're not all that big. You know, we're like 72, 75 churches and plants. So we're not a gigantic group of churches, but we have 19 plants. Plants, and 12 of those are new last year, and 9 of the 12 were ethnic. So it's just been amazing what God is doing with all of these church plants. So why plant churches? So let me give you some reasons today, and if we look at this next slide, um, you know, we plant churches because the need around us demands it. It just demands it. And if you look at the next slide, you can see here that, um, you know, you look at America, and there's about 250, technically 256 million people who are unchurched, right? So uh, Jerron Jones is one of our church planners, and he talks about, hey, we got to reach the unchurched, the dechurched, the lightly church. Lightly church would be Easter, Christmas, right? So unchurched, dechurched, lightly church. But, but in America, I mean, it's 250 million people, uh, and we have this 80-80 problem in America. So if you think of all of the evangelical churches, not evangelical free, just everybody, right? You know, Southern Baptists, this group, that group, this group, you know, everybody out there that understands the gospel and believes the Bible, 80% um, of all the churches in America are either plateaued or declining. That's a problem, right? I mean, that's a problem, plateaued or declining. Now, Tom Rayner, who's a, an expert out there, he says, well, it's probably not as high as 80% right now. It's a little bit lower than that. But then he also says, oh, by the way, over the next 10 years, 100,000 churches that exist today are going to close their doors. 
they're just dying all over America. Churches are dying. So it's, it's really amazing. So we got 80% of our churches plateaued or declining, and then we have in almost any community in America, 80% of the people are unchurched. They do not go to church. They are not in a church like this this morning. They do not have what you have. Um, they are unchurched. So the need is, is incredible. Um, last Tuesday, Pastor Heath um, <coughs> facilitated a meeting with all of our Houston area pastors, and, and we had read this book summary on this book called Churchless, and it's just talking about the growing number of churchless people in America. And even um, among people who have put their faith alone in Christ alone for eternal life, right? They get the gospel. They understand the gospel. Um, they have, at some point or another, decided to follow Christ. It says, in America, there's 18 million of those people who don't go to church for whatever reason. You know, they got burned. They got hurt. They got this. They got that. So they're not in church. And then there's a whole bunch of other people and it's just harder to get people to want to connect with the church. So, you know, there's, the, the need is there. Um, if we think about the state of the church, like, you know, around the world, um, world population is approximately 7.6 billion, okay? So 7.6 billion. Um, they would tell us that, well, you know, 30% of all those people are Christian. Now, when they use that term Christian and we use that term Christian, um, they're a little broader. So like, hey, they're not Buddhist, they're not Hindu, they're not Jewish, they're Christian almost, right? And, and we, would, we would be a little narrower in our description of what a Christ follower is. But even if you use their 30% number, that means there's 5.3 billion people on planet Earth that don't know Jesus, and, and that's a problem. They're without Christ. If we think about America, population 329 million, 80% are unchurched. That leaves 256 million people not in church. Think about the city of Houston, Texas. You're approximately 2.5 million population, just the city itself. Um, now, the Pew Research Center would say the majority of people in Houston, Texas say that they are a Christian. But hey, you live here, you work with these people. You know that's not true. You know, you know that that is not the case. And, uh, and, and, and so, again, um, the need is great, right? The majority of people here are not Christ followers. Um, one of the exciting things over the years has been the development of the Houston Church Planning Network, and Pastor Heath's a leader with that. But um, Chad Clarkston leads that, and it's a collaboration of all these churches of all types um, gospel-believing churches throughout greater Houston that want to come together to collaborate, like, how can we plant more churches? How can we reach more people for Jesus? How can we plant more churches? So that, that's a great thing here in Houston. Um, Ephesians 2.12 says that people who are without Christ are people who are without God and without hope in the world. Um, they're hopeless the Bible says. They're godless. Um, they're heading for a Christless eternity in hell. And if, if, if you and I truly grasp and begin to understand the very heart of God, I mean, that has to bother us, right? I mean, that, that has to do something internally inside of us that there's all these people and they don't have any hope and they don't know God and, of course, we do, and we have a mission from Jesus to, to help them. So it has to bother us, and it should break our hearts, and um, 
That's why we need to be involved in planning churches. And, and we're seeing some really neat things happen. So I'll tell you a couple stories. Um, I should look at that clock over there to make sure I end on time. Um, Drew Lever. Drew Lever is what we call one of our outliers. So Drew Lever, I recruited him from a church up in the Dallas area to come to Garden Ridge, Texas and become the lead pastor there. And, uh, and so he came and, you know, the church fell in love with him and they hired him and they called him to be their pastor and, and he turned the church around doing great stuff. And, uh, and he said, Bob, okay, you know, we need to, we want to start planning churches. We got to plan churches. So, and, and as a district, one of the things we've done is really work hard to develop systems that we know are needed to help churches multiply and plant churches. So, um, you know, we can help with recruiting. The ideal is for a church like yours to raise up church planners internally. That's, what, that's the holy grail. That's what we really want. But hey, that's hard. It takes time. There's all that. So a church may say, hey, we, we, we want to plant, but like, you know, Grace Bible Church did not have the church planner um, to plant this church. Heath wasn't part of Grace Bible Church, so they hired him from the outside um, to do that. And so, so um, you know, we can recruit, we can help assess, we can train, we can coach, we can come alongside and give structure and help and oversight, we can help fund, you know, money's nice. Church planners' wives like money because they want the kids to eat. So um, <laughs> church planners do great, by the way. So but we have all those systems. So we come along with those systems to help help our churches. So I had this guy that took my church planning class at Dallas Seminary in Dallas named Justin Evans, and he was from San Antonio, and his wife Candace was from San Antonio, and they were called by God to go back to San Antonio when he got out of seminary and plant a church. So I had Justin, and I kept building that relationship. And then I got Drew, who's in the San Antonio area, and he wants a church planner. And I'm like, hey, you guys need to get together. So I network them together. They fall in love with each other. Drew hires Justin, as their church planner and residence, brings him on staff. We put money into it. They put money into it. Justin raises a little bit of money. He's full-time. He's on staff. He's gathering people. His goal was that um, the day they planted Northeast Bible Church, they would have more people from outside of Northeast Bible than coming from Northeast Bible, and they, they achieved that goal. So that, that was good. So... So Drew sends Justin out to plant Stone Oak Bible Church in the Stone Oak section of San Antonio. So, so Justin goes out, and as soon as Northeast gets done funding Justin, he hires Gabe. And, and so we found Gabe for him. Turns out he and Gabe knew each other. They had been on a church staff together when Gabe was doing an internship there. And so they're like old friends. And, and so he brings Gabe and Monica on, and they, they're church planners and residents. And, and they go through this residency, and we put money into it, and they put money into it. And, and then they send Gabe out to plant King's Community Church. And next Sunday, they will celebrate their one-year anniversary Technically, it was like last week, but they're waiting later to celebrate it. But you got to be technical sometimes. So anyway, but yeah, and so we, uh, Joanna and I, were part of Northeast, and so we actually had downsized, moved to New Braunfels. So hey, you know, seemed ordained of God that we should go with them. So we're part of that church plant, although we're never there because I'm in a different church every Sunday. But anyway, we give there. So our money is there, and our prayers are theirs, and I'm coaching Gabe, so, so that's good. So, so Justin plant, or Drew plants... 
Justin, then he plants Gabe. And as soon as he gets done giving money to Gabe, he brings Charles on staff, and now he's planting Charles. Like, this guy is a machine. This church is a machine. They're just going to keep planting churches and planting churches and planting churches. And then Justin, you know, he got planted out, and he brought Mike on his staff as a church planner residence, Mike Kraft. And then when Stone Oak celebrated their second anniversary, they launched their first daughter church, Mission Community Church, and they meet in a YMCA. It is so cool. They have, you may have the largest screen, but let me tell you, they have the largest baptistry. No, you know, hands down there in that YMCA. So, you know, Mike is there, and, and he's, he's doing that. And, um, and then remember, Drew, he brings Mike and Ariel uh, there the Sunday before Thanksgiving one year, and he's like, hey, this is our granddaughter church. I mean, you know, we planted Stone Oak, and now Stone Oak is planting these guys. This is our granddaughter. So here's the deal. Next Sunday, the entire offering goes to these guys, and we want to pay their rent for a year. And he paid their rent for like a year and a half or two years or something. So it was, it was awesome. So, so, you know, he's a church planting machine. Katie Arnold on our staff, um, who works to really help churches multiply disciples, leaders, and churches, um, she and I were, were on a Zoom video conference with Brandon Zeske, who is a new lead pastor at Austin Oaks Church. And he's like, Bob, we got to start planting churches. Like, what do we do? What do we do? We got to plant churches. Like, okay. So we do this Zoom meeting and we talk about, hey, we got all these systems. Here's how we can help you. You're going to plant the church, but we can come alongside. We can assist you. And, and so Heath, he said, um, all right, hey, you know, Maybe, maybe this year we can help support a church planner or two, but then I'd like to start planning a church every year. We'll bring somebody on. We'll send them out every year. So, I mean, it's awesome. Now, both of those churches are about 1,000 people, okay? So when you're 1,000 people, what it means is you have more money and you have more people and you have more resources. So we, we understand that it might be a little bit easier for them. But, hey, we always say, look, any church could give 10%, right? If you're a church of 100, you can give 10 people. Church of 300, give 30 people. Church of 1,000, give 100 people, although that's probably a lot. But, and, you know, if your budget's 100,000, give 10. If it's 200,000, give 20. I mean, any church can do that anywhere in the world. But so it's exciting. People are realizing there's this incredible need out there, and it is a great need, and we need to do that. So why do we plant churches? We plant churches because the need demands it. And by the way, in America, 25% of all the population growth in the United States of America happens, happens in one state, the great state of Texas. I mean, everybody wants to come here. You know this, right? People are pouring in. And, and so 25% of the population growth in America happens in our state, mainly among the four metros. And as you know, there's like 2,000 people pouring into Houston every week, every week. It just won't stop. Where we live in New Braunfels, one of the fastest growing cities in America. I, I'm not sure how we're going to give water to them because they're rationing us now. But anyway, you know, it's above my pay grade. Okay, second reason why we need to be involved in church planning we want to be more effective on the next slide with evangelism, more effective with evangelism. So in 1990, Dr. C. Peter Wagner wrote this book, Church Planning for a Greater Harvest. On page 11, he made this incredible statement. You ready? The single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. So if you want to be effective with evangelism, plant new churches. Well, fast forward 20 years. 
2010, Ed Stetzer and Warren Bird write their church planning book, Viral Churches. On page 16 of that book, they quote Wagner, but they add five words. It goes like this. The single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planning new churches who in turn reproduce themselves. They added those five words. Who in so it's not just planning churches. It's planning churches that plant churches. We want your church to plant churches. We want your church to reproduce yourself. So great, great quote there. Now, why is that true? Well, look at the next slide. Church plants evangelize more effectively. So um, if we talk about the conversion growth rate and church plants, um, there's a higher conversion rate. So if we think about for every 100 people, how many converts could we expect in a year? Um, I got two numbers there on the right. The first number is from the Church Multiplication Training Center. Second is from Stetzer and Bird. Churches zero to three years of age, 10%, 10%. So a church of 50 would see five people come to faith in Christ in the course of a year. Church of 100 would see 10 people come to faith in Christ. And they both say that from their research. But look at what happens. 3 to 15, where you guys are, drops in half. Drops in half. 5%. But then look what happens. Above 15, the first group said it's about 1.5%. So it takes 100 people <clears throat> meeting every Sunday for worship, praying every week, doing small group ministry, giving money to see one and a half people, including their own children, come to faith in Christ. I mean, it just really f falls off. And so church planters evangelize, church plants evangelize better, and, you know, uh, church plants are often more attractive to people outside the church. So the need demands it. It's, we're more effective with church plants. And there's a third reason, next slide, because it's biblical and it's missional. And of course, we could, we could start right there, right? And just say, you know, hey, this is what the Bible says, this is what God says, game over. I mean, that's it. It's biblical, it's missional. So if you have a Bible, look at Acts 1 8, or I have the passage on the board for you here, Acts 1 1 to 8. Here's what we read The first account. I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs and appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then skipping ahead to verse 8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest ends of the earth. So, don't leave. Wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come and then go in the power of the Holy Spirit. They were the orders. Of course, if you read the book of Acts in 1.8, 
he says, go, and they don't go until 8-1 when God has to bring persecution to get them up out of their chairs to go do what he wanted them to do in the first place, right? So sometimes God brings some things into our lives to get us to do what it is that he wants us to do, um, and, and that's okay. Now, if you want a biblical understanding of church planning, just read the book of Acts. Just read the book of Acts, right? Um, you know, next slide. If, uh, if Luke's gospel is what Jesus began to do, which is what he says here, his first account, that'd be the gospel of Luke. If, if the gospel of Luke is what Jesus began to do, well, then the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do, and Jesus works through his church. He's working through his church. You know, I told you that church plants evangelize better. So, so Drew planted Justin out, Justin planted Mike out. Mike is a gathering animal. Now, administratively, he's a train wreck, um, and we know that. So we're like, hey, you know, Mike, you need, you know, and most church planters are train wrecks, really, administratively. We get that. Um, it's okay. But they, they want to reach people for Jesus, let me tell you. And, uh, and, and so, you know, Mike hired Jamie to, you know, Wes Brazelton, he would tell you, hey, you know, first thing he did, first hire was Christian to keep him out of jail. Because, you know, I mean, that's not why church planners get up in the morning to, to obey rules. They don't. I mean, it's just, it goes with the nature, fallen nature of church planners. Anyway, um, but... I mean, Mike's just living the dream. I mean, he's just gathering all these people far from God. Their lives are so messed up. The stories are so amazing. It's like you wouldn't believe them, but it's really true. And, and people are finding Jesus, and they're finding hope. And they're, they used to be without God, and now they have God. And, I mean, it is so exciting because, because you know, that's what, that's what church planters do. Now, you could actually outline the book of Acts by just following Acts 1.8. So if we look at the next slide, you can see there <clears throat> that, you know, Acts 1, 1 to 8.3, church planning, you know, when we talk about missionary journey and St. Paul's three missionary journeys, you could say church planning journeys because that's what they did. They planted churches. And so church planning extends to Jerusalem. And then 8.4 to 9.31, it extends to Judea, Samaria. <clears throat> and then 9.32 to <clears throat> the end of the book. It extends to the remotest parts. So 1.8 gives you this great little outline for the whole book. Now, a lot of churches, though, in this verse, <clears throat> they jump over Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the remotest parts. And, of course, the question is, should we reach the remotest parts? Well, absolutely. But then should we skip Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria? Well, absolutely not. I mean, those people need Jesus too. So it's both, right? We want to do, we want to do both there. And of course, in some ways, um, God is bringing the world to America. I mean, it's just amazing all the opportunities we have here to reach people from all over the world. I mean, one of our church plants is a Chinese church plant. We have Andrew Feng up in the Dallas area who wants to reach Chinese, uh, particularly students, you know, one out of every three Chinese students in America is in the state of Texas. Amazing. And, um, and so these people get reached with the gospel, and they go to an American Chinese church or an American church, and then they go back to China, and they look for that church on the corner, and it's not there, <laughs> right? And, and so they kind of fall through the cracks. So Andrew wants to do 
more of a house church movement that can be replicated back in China, and he goes back and forth to China and, and all that. So, you know, we, uh, just across the DFW, we've added five new church planners. We have a Chinese church planner. We have a Spanish-speaking church planner. We have a Haitian-American church planner. We have an Ethiopian church planner. And then we have a, a guy getting his Ph.D. at Dallas Seminary who's planning a multi-ethnic church in Garland. I mean, it's a great day for the church to reach all kinds of people. So what's the purpose of church planning? Well, it's to carry out the work or mission of God, if you look at the next slide. Missio Dei is the Latin phrase there, mission of God. And um, you and I need to be on mission for Jesus, on mission with Jesus, right? And, and church planning is a way of doing that because church planning carries out the mission of God. Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, said in Matthew 16, 18, <clears throat> I also say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, right? I will build, Jesus said. He's going to build the church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Um, on Thursday, I was with all of our DFW area pastors, and we were talking about church lists and, and gathering together, and one pastor said, you know, Jesus said he would build the church and we should make disciples and it seems like maybe we spend our time building churches but not making disciples and we kind of have it backwards. And I thought, well, that's a whole sermon right there, you know, and that would preach. So Jesus is accomplishing his mission in the world today and how does he do it? He does it through his church. I mean, we're it. There is no plan B. <laughs> this is plan A. It's you. You know, and so you can't fail because there is no plan B. Jesus is working through the church. He said, I will build my church. Um, I was able to, to get a doctorate, and, and so as I started studying for my doctorate, my very first course was a, a course on research and development. So like, okay, you know, what, what's your dissertation going to be on? What's your research going to be on? What's your research methodology going to be? All that kind of stuff. And I was serving on the EFCA National Church Multiplication Team, and, and so one guy had really gone after the assessment piece, like how do you assess church planners? Because not every person called in the ministry is wired by God to be a church planner. And, and you only want the ones that are to plant churches, and if they're not wired to be a church planner, then you go do something else because it's not going to go well. So we assessed Heath, and, and he assessed well as a church planner, and that's why you're still here today. Um, if he had assessed poorly, you wouldn't be here today, okay? So it just, you know, it's kind of like that. Um, so, and we had uh, a couple other guys, and they were working on the whole training aspect, and we're, but there was nothing on coaching, nothing at all on coaching. And I'm like, well, hey, I'm kind of like a Barnabas guy. I, I want to work, I wanna, I'll work on coaching. So I got a doctorate in that area, and I wrote my dissertation on successfully coaching church planners, and then I went, developed all the material to train people how to coach church planners, and I went all around the country for the EFCA to different districts, you know, giving them that, and, and you know, what Timothy says, um, you know, the things which... Paul said, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you know, entrust these to faithful men, they will teach others also, kind of did that replicating around the country. But anyway, the point of all this long story is, and if you want a long story, you need to talk to Pastor Heath. Now, you don't want to do this today, trust me, but you want to say, could you tell us about your time in China? So, just saying, it is a great story, and it is worth hearing, 
but it's a long story. And he'll tell you up front it's a long story, but you want to hear it, trust me. Um, so anyway, uh, there were three professors for this course, and so one of them, Keith Wilhite, he wants to meet for breakfast, and, and so I meet him for breakfast, and I remember him looking across the table and saying, so Bob, why are you doing this? You know, why do you want to do research in this area of coaching, and, and, and you know, why are you doing this doctoral program? And, and I said, well, I want to help change the world for Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget, he looked across at me and said, oh, is that all? And I'm like, well, hey, you know, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, the only hope. There is no other hope in the world other than Jesus. And Jesus works through his church. So the church of Jesus Christ, Bridge Montrose, you're the hope of the world. There is no other hope. You've got the life-changing gospel of Jesus. And I told him, look, churches have life cycles. Churches get born, they grow, they decline, they die. Other churches get born. And, I mean, it just has happened throughout history. And then there's all these new people. We've got to reach them with the gospel, so we've got to plant new churches. So if I could help church planners be more effective, I'm going to help change the world for Jesus. So that's kind of what I've been doing the last couple of decades. So there's that. And so, you know, how has Jesus been accomplishing his mission in the world through the ages? Well, he builds his church through church planning. I mean, look at the next slide, you know, 1 Corinthians there. Um, Paul says, hey, I planted, Apollos watered. See, we got the planters, we got the waterers, different types of people. But God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So there's this farming imagery there, and of course, who causes the growth? God causes the growth, right? God causes the growth. But he expects us to plant. He expects us to work. He wants to work through you. You are God plan, plan A. There is no plan B. I mean, you're it. You're the church. You can't fail. You have, to, you have to succeed at this because you're it. I mean, he could have said, he could have had any number of other plans, but he said, you know, he told his disciples, you're it. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he expects us to do our part. He expects us to carry out the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He expects us to make disciples. He expects us to live out Acts 1.8. He expects us to be his witnesses. He expects us to obey him and do all that. And when we make disciples, means we have more disciples, what do we do with them? You know, Wayne Kadera would say, well, you don't leave them on a beach somewhere. He's in Hawaii. But, uh, you know, you gather them into the local church. So we need to plant more churches for all these new disciples. So, I mean, Houston, Texas. I remember it's probably 20 years ago, there was an article in the New York Times. And this article in the New York Times said, Houston, Texas, the prototype of America because of the racial diversity. It was so, um, you know, 25% African-American, 25% Hispanic, 25% Anglo, 25% Asian. It was just like this incredible you know, breakdown of ethnic diversity and, you know, they were, the argument was that that's the direction that America is heading. So the need is great. We can do all this. One more reason, actually two, so here's number four, 
because on the next slide it allows us to become unselfish like God right so John 316 I mean you've all seen the sign at football games right you know John 316 for God so loved the world that he what gave he gave I mean God's a giver God's generous God God gives and um you know, when you and I give, when we're unselfish, when we're willing to give out, give away people, give away money, deny ourselves, help church planners, we're being like Jesus. I mean, we're becoming more Christ-like. And 2 Corinthians 9.10 says that the generous giver, God enables you to have even more to give away. He'll increase your seed is what it literally says there. And he'll, you know, so you give and, and God gives you more to give away. And from, from my vantage point of helping a whole lot of church planters plant churches over a whole lot of years, I've just seen incredible things. Um, I've seen people move across the country just to help plant a church. So I told you about Mike, the guy with the big baptistry at the YMCA there in San Antonio. So Mike had been on a church staff in Connecticut. And so he calls up John and Jamie. Now Jamie uh, worked in corporate America and had a staff of 60 people that she was responsible for. So that's, you know, pretty high capacity. Prior to that, she worked for the governor of the state of Connecticut. So, so Mike calls up, because remember I told you, administratively he's a train wreck and he needs help. And I told him that in the assessment and I was coaching him. And, and so he calls up John and Jamie and he said, hey, <clears throat> would you guys quit your jobs would you sell your house? I know you're having your first baby, but would you move from Connecticut to Texas to San Antonio and help me plant this church? And John and Jamie prayed about it, and they quit their jobs, and they sold their house, and they had Juliana, and they moved to San Antonio, and, and Jamie works on staff at Mission Community Church, and they're helping him to plant that church. And he didn't have enough money to hire her for as many hours as she could work, so we hired her too for our district, so she helps us a lot, and she designs websites for our church planners and all that kind of stuff. So it's awesome. But I mean, people do that because of the gospel of Jesus. They quit their jobs, they sell their houses, they move across country. People leave nice salary packages in corporate America, and they go work for church plants. People leave churches like Grace Bible Church in Houston, Texas to go help like someplace in Montrose start a new church that doesn't have a building like Grace Bible. I mean, people do that kind of stuff. They're really, they're really willing to be unselfish like God. They're really willing to give of themselves like God. So it's, it's truly amazing. God's heart is for people. God's heart is for making disciples. He's for planning churches. And when, when you and I give our time and our talent and our treasure and use our gifts and, and sacrifice to plant churches, well, that's when our heart is in line with God's heart, right? I mean, that's the way God is. One of the things I have learned along the way that I will pass on to you, though, is I learned that God is not as concerned with your comfort as he is with developing your character, okay? Comfort, character. You know, we like comfort. God wants to shape our character. And so sometimes things don't always work out as nice as we would like them to, and, but God's developing our character because he's more about that than our comfort. One last reason, number five. Why plant churches? Because it allows us to live by faith. And look at the next slide, Hebrews 11:6. I mean, without faith... 
it is impossible to please God, right? That's what the writer tells us, the Hebrews. I mean, and church planning takes faith. Like, I mean, Heath quit his job. He gave up the salary package. Like, we're going to plant this church. Is it going to make it? Well, we hope so. Um, you know, can, can we feed Gavin in Brooklyn? Well, I, you know, we hope so. Um, I mean, it takes faith. It takes faith for you to be here. I mean, it, it just takes faith. Um, but it's one of the greatest opportunities to actually live by faith, really, to, you know, I mean, it's easy to go be comfortable in a nice existing church with comfortable seat and comfortable coffee. And you guys have good coffee. You know, I like coffee. And you serve water. I mean, hey, there's probably tea over there. There's, all that. there's no half and half. I will say that as somebody that can be a little snobbish about, you know, drinking coffee. But, you know, just some room for improvement there. But anyway, <laughs> God is more concerned with character than comfort, so I'm willing to, willing to do that. But... Um, I mean, it takes faith. So I have a pastor right now. He's been in a church for 25 years. The church is probably 40, 45 years old, right? So he kind of came in. The church had already, you know, been through a pastor or two, and then they hired him. Well, he's been there 25 years, so really a long run. Church is healthy. They're doing well, and they're planning their first church. They're planning their first church. But this pastor is going to send out families with the church planner, and the pastor's kind of realizing that, you know, if these families no longer come here, but they're going to go there, they're no longer going to give their money here, they're going to give their money there, and we're not going to have their money here, and are we going to be able to make our budget? I mean, pastors worry about those kinds of things, right? And, and it's like, but it takes faith. I mean, it takes faith to trust God and say, you know what? We believe God wants us to plant a church, so we're going to ask some of you to go and be with him and go plant this church in this city that needs a gospel-believing, gospel-teaching church and give all your money there and go with him and leave us. No. And, then, you know, and so um, it takes faith to do that. And so church planning is a great way of expressing faith um, with that. So quote from Ed Stetzer. I love this quote on the next slide. How did Christianity, I mean, how did we ever get to where a faith that spread primarily through church planning, Book of Acts, right? They went to a city, they planted a church, they appointed elders, they planted a church, they planted a church. How do we get from that to where the idea of church planning is somewhat unusual that a church would do that? I mean, when Stetzer and Bird wrote viral churches, 3% of church plants reproduced. Then it went to 4%. Now it's up to 7%. We're trying to get it to 10%. I mean, it's hard. If it were easy, everybody would do it. Trust me. Um, it's hard. So we need to get there. So, you know, why would people leave a church where they're comfortable and they have friends and they love everybody? Why would they leave there and go somewhere else to plant churches? Why would they sacrifice to help that church plant? Why would a church sacrifice and give away people and give away money? Because their hearts beat for Jesus, right? Their hearts beat for Jesus. Um, because they, they see the need in the harvest field. They have a vision for the harvest field and they have the hearts 
and compassion to do something about it. And that's what it takes. Remember, Jesus saw the people as sheep without a shepherd, and he felt compassion on them, and he did something about it. And we need to see people as Jesus saw them, Christless, hopeless, heading for a Christless eternity in hell. And he's given us the good news of the gospel to do something about it, and we need to do it. And the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planning new churches who in turn reproduce themselves. So help plant churches, help church planters. Let's pray together. Lord, um, thank you for this expression of your body. Thank you that um, you gave Heath and Amber a vision and Grace Bible Church a vision and a whole bunch of people at Grace Bible Church who were willing to step out in faith, who were willing to be unselfish, who saw the need in this area of Houston and who left the comfort of a nice church um, and who've been setting up stuff and doing stuff now for the last few years. And Lord, um, increase them, bless them, help them to be effective reaching others, and Lord, help them to multiply. And uh, here in this school, I just can't help but see the need for a second language service and them planning a Spanish-speaking church. Maybe you'd direct them that way or, or sending out some people to plant a church somewhere else. So Lord, just help these guys grasp the need for church multiplication. And if anybody's here this morning and they've never clearly understood the life-changing gospel of Jesus, that he said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He's the only way. It's exclusive, and we go through Jesus or we don't get there. And Lord, we know it's by faith alone in Christ alone, and we can't work our way. And just help them to understand the gospel that it's your gift, and you want them to experience salvation and by faith, they need to believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross, that he paid the penalty for all their sins, past, present, and future. And Lord, um, if there's anyone here that's never done that, help them to do that right now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, hearing a sermon and message like that, I think there's a couple of different possible responses and one is just kind of, it could either just see like seem so far, so big and so far beyond you or really foreign. You know, if, you, if you're here and like you, you, you're, you know, you're not acquainted with church or the language or, or whatever, it may sound just like a bunch of jargon or kind of what you expected. Or if you are, you know, you've been a part of walking with Christ in the church, it could just seem so big. And, and every week we take communion. Um, and it's a time of remembering the work of Christ. And what's, I think, really important for us to really think about right now is that this moment coming before remembering the work of Christ is a moment for us to kind of respond to that, that feeling of either it's foreign or, or it's beyond us. Um, because this, I pray that we all felt kind of the, the enormity of, of, of what we're called to in, in this sermon today, in this, this heart, heart of God. But this moment of communion, coming before God and, and remembering what he did for us in Christ is what makes it personal. Because for us to see any kind of impact or movement, we, we pray that there is a unity, a common heartbeat for this very thing. But for there to be any of that, it must be personal. 
it must be something where we have reflected on what Christ has done, and that's what motivates us. The observing the work of Christ regularly is what keeps us rooted and motivated by the glorious riches of God's grace that he gave us in Jesus. And so I pray that in this time, as we remember what Christ has done, that you, if, if this is foreign to you and it kind of sounded a little, a little, you know, just you don't know what to make of it, I pray that right now you hear the heart of God and what he did for you. I pray that if you have called on Christ and you're walking with him, that once again, just like David said, he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That in these moments, when we remember the work of Christ, Bob asked, what did Jesus do to complete the mission of the gospel in the early church? And this is a moment for each of us to say, what did Jesus do to complete his, his mission of redemption, restoration, and reconciliation of relationship for me? And I pray that as we commit our whole lives, and I love big picture, like I geek out over this stuff. I geek out over just thinking of like, of the big picture and just kind of the macro and everyone together. And I kind of forget sometimes to think really personally. And so I pray that right now, that as we come before and we remember the work of Christ, that we remember what Jesus did to complete his mission in you or what he wants to do in you today as he's calling you to possibly surrender and find freedom and salvation for the first time.